Greetings ladies and mental gents and welcome to the batch video for the web novel Out of Space from the website Royal Road. In this video we will be doing chapters 277 to 280 and as always I hope that you enjoy and if you do please consider supporting the channel. Chapter 277 The Trap Great Ocean Plains a small camp could be seen bustling with activity on the open plains. A huge rectangular area was cordoned off with white ropes and red flags, while marines in work fatigues unloaded large barrels and supplies off of the trucks. Irishwell, with her long hair tied up and stuffed in her cap, and dressed in a pair of grey work overalls and military boots, walked around the cordoned area. She turned to the military liaison and following her and asked, Are you certain that it'll come directly here? Yes, ma'am, the marine replied politely. Our scouts have plotted its course, and it hasn't diverted for almost two days. I see, Irishwell replied, but if it doesn't come this way, won't we waste all this time and effort here? The marine just replied, Madame, the higher-ups have planned for that contingency already. And what of the plans for that? Irishwell continued to press the soldier. I'm sorry, madame, I have need-to-know basis. The marine shrugged apologetically. I have no authorization to tell you the plans. <laughs> Hirschwell snorted. If you don't tell me the plans, how am I going to prepare a trap to accommodate any changes? Sorry, madame, marine stone-facedly replied. It's above my pay grade. Hirschwell gave up. All right, step back. I'll create the pit now. Earlier, she had drawn out the formations on each part of marked land, and now she took out several brown-yellow mana stones and placed them on the anchor points on her spell formation. She focused her mana together on the earth before she quivered and the pit slowly formed. Excess dirt and soil magically piled up at the sides where a couple of half-tracks with a bulldozer blades shoved the soil and dumped it into the dump trucks which doubled as cargo truck haulers. They transported the dirt a short distance away and dumped them before returning for another load, while Irishwell constantly forced the earth to climb out of the pit. After half an hour, the pit the size of a basketball court appeared that was over 15 meters deep. Irishwell sat down in the grass panting as the spell took out a lot of her stamina and power. The marine handed her a bottle of fruit-flavored water and a fruit bar for her to recover her strength. One down, ain't more to go. Before Rishval started the work on her magic pits, hundreds of ex-slaves hired to help with the digging watched in wonder at the magical way the strange rumbling mountless wagons, two, three times taller than a larger than any wagon they'd ever seen, moving all the materials, equipment and manpower easily and smoothly like magic. Hey, the barbarian lord wearing a thin orange skull cap called out to the gaping workers, I need the team leaders to form your people into teams of twenty. Each team will be responsible for their own areas. The barbarian foreman continued the briefing and pointed. Shovels and other equipment are right over there. Make sure you wear your protective gear. Helmets and gloves are at the equipment point. The foreman continued to drone on. Safety first. Drink plenty of water. Water points at those tents are on your left. The ex-slaves looked at each other in confusion. Safety first. Protective gear. Drink plenty of water. What insane ideas did these barbarian lords have? One by one, they drifted over to the tents where several tables stood under the shade. A barbarian soldier stood behind each table, laden with equipment of all types. The ex-slaves recognized the weirdly colored uniforms, looked shyly at the equipment laid out. 
The line starts from here, one of the soldiers yelled and pointed. Start queuing up here and move down the line after you've taken your gear. The ex-slaves timidly followed the soldiers' orders, and they shuffled from one table to another under the directions of the soldiers. They were each given a tiny white skull cap and a pair of thick gloves and a pair of solid working boots. Their faces lit up with excitement when they heard that they could keep the boots, but the safety helmet and gloves had to be returned. The line started to turn more lively as the men started to get impatient for their free boots. When the hired ex-slaves were properly equipped, they followed the instructions to remove the topsoil without destroying the grass around the large, roped-out area. They moved the clawed grass carefully to the side, unsure what was the purpose of these actions. Once the marked-out area was cleared of topsoil, a pretty girl in strange wear came up and started drawing circles around the arcane ruins in the dirt while the workers rested on the side watching her work. They ooed and aahed when the earth magically dug out and they followed their team, leaders, and started to help out with the excavation of the site. The ramps were dug down into the pits while a larger timber frame was constructed to prevent the sides of the pit from collapsing. The work for the ex-slaves was mostly carting away the earth that had gathered at the bottom of the pit and building an overhead support for the trap. The ex-slaves were quite surprised at the pace the welfare were given to them, as they thought the conditions for the job was posted in the city square would be similar to how they were treated usually in mines and palms. They did not expect such good conditions. From proper tools to adequate rest times and even food and water were provided for the men for free. Soon, the men broke out in songs as they willingly worked harder for these barbarian lords that treated them like people. Carefully now, the marine sergeant yelled at his men as they lifted the barrel of napalm onto a wheelbarrow. Don't drop it and spill that crap out or I'll make you lick it all up. The marines grunted as they carefully transported dozens and dozens of napalm barrels down into the nine pits that had merged into one major pit with skeletal frames of wood and pillars that reached up to the top. Hundreds of tree trunks transported over the forest were buried at the bottom of the pit with their ends sharpened, making the bottom of the pit looking like a forest of giant stakes. Over 40 drums of 20 gallon containing locally produced napalm were buried into the football-sized pit, with its round front end exposed. At the back of the drum was an explosive charge which, when triggered, will rupture the drum and shoot a jet of flame 10 feet wide and 30 yards long. Another troop of marines carefully hooked up the explosive charges and drums of white phosphorus to the tips of the sharpened stakes to the roof supports. The idea was that if the god snake landed in the pit with white phosphorus would blind and burn it, or the main killer would be the napalm flames and the sharpened stakes were the icing of the cake. Once the mine and traps were in place properly, the workers and marines climbed out of the pit carefully. To cover the pit, dozens of tree trunks were laid across the roof supports and filled up with the tree branches and leaves. The workers carefully scattered earth and soil over the layer of leaves and slowly the pit started to look similar to its surroundings except for a lack of grass. To cover that up, before Irishmal started her magic, the marked out area had topsoil with grass carefully removed. Now that the cover of the pitfall was completed, the workers carefully moved and replanted the topsoil with the grass back to their original positions, and the pitfall merged with its surroundings. If there wasn't the white ropes barrier around the pitfall, it was hard to spot the land had been disturbed. Following that, the soldiers and workers started to pack up everything and clear away all traces. They were spent over two days working on the massive pitfall, 
and at first, a clueless ex-slaves also got some inkling of what was happening here from the conversations where they were having with the soldiers. The ex-slaves started off skeptic about the pitfall trap, wondering if there was enough to kill the god snake, but after watching the amount of strange arcane weapons being emplaced and the braggings of the soldier of how powerful each barrel was of name-palm, they started to feel assured once everything was completed. Irishwell pat her hands clean as she stood up, putting her finishing touches on the pitfall's camouflage. She had expended a lot of her magic and stamina over the past two days, despite the work being portioned off in smaller loads. If she tried to tackle digging out the entire pit without portioning it out, she would have fainted from mana burn and exhaustion without even reached a fifth of the depth. The only issue she had was trying to dig in a rectangular shape instead of a round shape, that took some of her serious concentration to achieve, and once it was done, she felt a sense of pride at her handiwork. Thank you, madame, the military liaison thanked her. Without your help, we couldn't have finished this in just two days. It's my duty to help, she smiled at the young soldier who blushed. So, do you know how far away that thing is? HQ reports that it's a day or two away, the soldier replied. Once we packed everything up, we will retreat back to Orwell's Point. So, what will be the lure? Irishwell paused. Well, you don't expect this thing to come here obediently and fall into the trap, right? Well, we'll have bait for it. The soldier smiled. What bait? Irishwell frowned, having this conversation several times over the last two days. I can't tell you, madame. It's above my pay grade. <sighs> hunger. It's hungry for souls. Even when it rested in the day, its dreams were pulled to the chaos of the great feast where it gorged itself with thousands and thousands of souls. It gently coiled itself tightly in a crude shelter it dug out in the morning day before daybreak. Many patches of once pristine skin were scarred and peeling. Milky white pus slowly leaked out before evaporating into black wisps of smoke as they dripped into the rocky earth. Slowly, it opened its blunt eyes and watched the light slowly receding away like an ocean tide from the entrance of the burrow. Soon it would be night, and it hated sun would vanish under the earth, and it could move. It could only feel a tiny presence of the sun god's power in the distance, and it was desperate to get it faster, or the body would cease to exist in the realm much longer. It's no longer bothered to spend what remains of its power to regenerate its body, as it saved up to keep the presence in its realm for longer. Only by feasting upon the powers of the sun gods did it have any chance of breaking the barrier between realms, and once that was achieved, it would be free to travel the realms and feast upon those delicious souls. It has accumulated its power over time and periodically sent trinkets containing its will onto this realm in the hopes that it could gather followers. Followers it did get, but most of them were just too stupid or weak to fight the sun gods' champions. Even if there were bodies willing to host a magnificent presence, they were strict requirements needed for host bodies. Not all mortals could hold or endure its power, and it was pleasantly surprised when it found eight combatable mortals from a distant world that had abandoned many, many years back. End of chapter. Chapter 278. Operation Pied Piper. Orwell's Point Marine Command. The atmosphere in the converted Great Hall was taut with anticipation as the men and women in command center watched the screens of the UAV broadcasting live from the planes. 
The orange glow of the sun rays slowly crept down the plains, and the sun slowly set over the horizon, and the land turned dark. The UAV automatically switched to night mode, and the view on the screens jumped, flickering white before turning to view into a white and greens. Two pinpricks of light reflected off the god snake's glowing as it made its way cautiously out from the burrow. Its forked tongue flicked out, tasting the air before it, turning and looking towards the direction of Orwell's point, giving a chill down the spines of the men and women in command post. The start, the operation, Joseph spoke with a subdued voice. Tonight we'll kill a god. May heavens protect us. Great Ocean Plains, first line of defense. Operation Pied Piper is a go. Repeat, Operation Pied Piper is a go came the voice of the HQ command operator on the radio. May the heavens protect out. All right, you heard the man. Second Sergeant Tyria and the 101st Arcane Tactics and Intervention, Claymore 1, yelled, Roll out. He sat on the vehicle commander seat of the jeep while Tavel started the engine. Wolf hung on the mounted machine gun on the rear. Next to them, another jeep carried the rest of the members of Claymore 1. They drove off into the night, heading towards the godsnake that had most woken up from its slumber. Sarge! The wolf yelled into the wind. What's a Pied Piper? Why do HQ always have funny names for its missions? Can't they just give it a name like Kill the Snake, like the guilds do? Well, it sounds cool. Tavel lost while the driver's seat. He donned one of the human's limited advanced night vision goggles, making him look like he was wearing several bug eyes on his head. There is a story behind the Pied Piper, Tyria yelled back. I asked Doctor about it, and she told me it was some ancient folktale in her land. There was a plague of rats and mice in a village. The Piper played a tune and lured hundreds of rats and mice to find it. The Piper led the rats and mice into the river, and they all drowned. Wow, that must be some powerful magic, Wolfgrind. Bet those villagers loved the Piper. Actually, no, Tyria replied. The people refused to pay for his service. He retaliated by using his instrument's magical power on their children, leading them away as he had the rats. What? Wolf was horrified. So what happened to the children? No one knows, Taria said. Damn, Wolf whispered. Hope we don't end up like those children. Check your equipment. Commands rang out along the berm of earth constructed by the leftover earth soil taken from the pitfall traps. A line of six half-tracks were the rear rolled up the berm ramps and had a small contingent of marines fussing over them. All gunners and loaders get ready. The half-tracks had the rear passenger compartments removed to allow for the installation of mounted weapons. Two and a half-track three-inch guns, while the remaining held four 120mm mortars bolted to the backs of the vehicles. Both in another line. A dozen supply and transport trucks waited patiently with their engines on standby, ready to drive off at a moment's notice. The battery commander stood on the top of the berm watching the two jeeps disappear into the night and prayed for everything going according to plan. It slithered along the plains as an even pace, its scaled body brushing past the waving grass in the night and leaving behind snaking trails the waist-length grass. It kept an eye out for any souls as it headed single-mindedly towards a trace of the godson's presence. It darted quickly down as its jaws snatched up the plane's hopper, and it looked at the antelope with the rabbit's head. It swallowed the petrified tiny creature whole and kept its eye out for more praise. 
This creatures barely held a soul in their body, but the energy was still energy, even if it was a tiny fraction of a pure soul. Suddenly, it paused in its movements and reared its triangular head up. It spotted two pairs of glowing lights in the distance. Before it, it hissed in pleasure. Souls. Um, Sarge. Wolf nervously gripped the spade handles of the 50 cal machine gun. He felt his palms sweating inside his soft leather gloves as he looked at the god snake's silhouetted shape and the eyes glowing under the reflection of the two jeep's headlamps. Think it takes the bait? Shh, Terrier hissed as he stared at the unmoving shape in the distance. Tavel, ready to make a run for it. Team two, Terrier called out to the next jeep. Hit it with an RPG and run for it. I... Loke and Hitsu leapt from the side of the jeep and Hitsu braced the RPG or tube against his shoulder. Distance, roughly 200 meters away, Loke answered as he inserted the frame's ruins in place of the smacked Hitsu's armored shoulder before dodging to the side. Up, one round away, Hitsu squeezed the firing ruins and a loud crack erupted from the launcher before a whoosh screamed out at the simple chemical-fueled motors of the rocket-propelled grenade ignited. Time seemed to slow down as everyone's eyes were following the sparkling flames and the shrieking rocket as it closed the distance towards the god snake. The rocket dipped down and exploded with a thunderclap and threw up a cloud of smoke and dirt, just a short of the surprised god snake. Fark! Hitsu cursed as he watched the rocket fall short of its target. Mist! Get the fark out of there, you dumbass! Teria yelled while he smacked Tabal to drive off. You want to be snake food? Ho! Fark! Hitsu quickly tossed the spent launcher onto the rear of the jeep before climbing back in and stepping behind Loke. Fark me! Go, 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 go! Loke banged the side of the jeep, ignoring Hitsu, whose body was still halfway outside the open jeep. Both jeeps dashed off and rapidly, pretty certain that the god snake would follow them. What? It reared back in surprise, as its shockwave of the sudden explosion shook its body. It narrowed its eyes in anger, feeling that the smell was similar to the strange flying creatures that had hurt it on a smaller scale. Yudas! It dropped its stance down and charged after the fleeing mortals. The glows of their magical lamps easily allowed it to follow them. Hissing in anger and anticipation of a good meal, it increased its speed, closing in on the distance of the fleeing mortals rapidly. It's coming! Wolf yelled as he held onto the dear life onto the weapon mount, the jarring ride with all the bumps and humps of the planes despite dampening down on the jeep's suspension, had still more than enough to throw him off his feet and the jeep if he did not hold on tightly. Shoot the damn thing! Terrier craned his neck back to see the dark shadow looming up rapidly behind him. Shoot it! Oh! Wolf suddenly remembering he had the machine gun. He carefully stepped around the weapon and swung it to the rear and flipped the safety off. He placed the circular gun sight into the middle of the shadow and squeezed the butterfly triggers. The 50 cal roared out, spitting fiery red-yellow bolts out of the heavy bullets hammered directly into the body mass of the god snake, making it shriek in anger. The other jeep's mounted 50 cal also opened up at that point. Traces could be seen bouncing away from the shadowy god snake as the bullets failed to penetrate its body. Tyria cursed as he glimpsed from the side mirror, seeing the glows of traces lighting up the godsnake. 
An objects in the mirror closer than the appear tag was printed in the mirror didn't help either, as he could very clearly see the whole body of the god snake reflected in the mirror. It's gaining on us! He pulled out a flare gun and pointed it up at the snake and fired. A whoosh of a rocket flare popped out and the illumination spell imbued inside the head activated when the cap burst and a tiny parachute popped out. A tiny piece of mana stone serving as a battery touched the ruins due to the force of the sudden acceleration. The simple steel cap of the flare was inscribed with an illumination spell, instantly glowed brightly as the mana stone touching the activation rune powered the spell. The mana stone had only enough power to spell for roughly five to six minutes, which by then the flare would have been dropped back to earth. Almost instantly, the surroundings were lighting up dimly, but enough light was available for the three-inch guns to spot the god snake in the flat plains. Target sighted, the gun commander yelled out, Distance 2,900. The three-inch gun computer directors were made out of the tablets and programmed by the IT department, turning the devices into a jerry-rigged targeting system for the guns. Fire! The gun, one fired, followed by gun two, a second later. The half-tracks rocked on their tracks as a few scrambled to reload. Load! Up! Fire! Come on! Come on! Hitsu muttered as he sat on the open floor of the jeep with his legs laid out to support his body. He had a bag of holding slung over in front of him as he fired the MG-1, while the rest did the same with their weapons. The humps and bumps did not help their aim as they fired at the fast-approaching godsnake. Drive faster! Hitsu screamed at the Altiad, who was at the wheel. The godsnake suddenly snapped forward while Altiad was just in time to swerve the wheel, just barely dodging the snapping snake from ripping a chunk out of the jeep's rear wheel. Holy fuck! Hitsu screamed as the snapping jaws of the godsnake nearly gotten his left leg. Please drive faster! Shut up! Altiad cursed as he spun the wheel left and right, trying to throw off the aim of the angry godsnake. Trying without killing us all! Suddenly, they heard a shriek followed by another, just as a second behind the area around the godsnake erupted into a sudden blinding flames. The shockwave of the three-inch shells knocked the jeeps a bit, but both drivers managed to keep the jeeps from toppling over. Hell yeah! Hitsu roared out as he saw the godsnake stumble. Eat that witch! Another body from the three-inch gun streaked over again and impacted the dazed godsnake, sending up more flashes and flames and smoke. With the godsnake getting barraged by the three-inch guns, both jeeps managed to gain some distance from the stalking godsnake. How far more? Hitsu asked as he checked the ammunition. Another click, came the reply. Just a few more minutes and we reached the trap. It's coming back, Loke yelled and Young reloaded the jeep's mounted 50 cal with the fresh cans of ammunition. The enraged godsnake seemed to be even faster as it appeared to swim against the grass and caught up with them almost without effort. Almost there, Altiad yelled as the jeep bounced off a hump, temporarily flying before hammering down on the earth hard enough that Altiad almost bit his tongue off. He tasted blood in his mouth and, without taking his eyes off the fluttering flag coming up, he spat out a glob of blood and saliva. Come on, come on, follow that Pied Piper. End of chapter. Chapter 279 I like to order an Amagi set. The night skies were lit up by floating orbs of light and bright darts of traces as exploding shells of cannons. Cannons and small arms fire rumbled like thunder while the effects of the traces and shunning caused the surrounding vegetation to catch fire. 
bathing the low clouds with orangey-yellow. The snake hissed with anger, unsure where those irritating explosions came from, but it hurt. Its barely recovered body and its tough scales could easily withstand arrows and swords, but that no overpressure from high explosives. It could only see two fast-moving objects with a glow of souls on them, and it channeled all of its anger and frustration on those running mortals. It lowered its body and it slithered as fast as it could after its prey, ignoring the spells exploding on all around it. Focusing all of its attention on the fleeing creatures, it did not notice any changes in the terrain when it followed them, only knowing that it would vent all its anger and hunger on the puny mortals. Both jeeps warmed up in a single file as they sped between two lines of yellow flags laid out carefully. The flags were laid out between the supporting roof bridge and the jeeps crossed the pitfall trap. Just as the forward jeep reached the midpoint of the bridge, a red flare was launched out, further illuminating the surroundings. They were barely off the concealed bridge when the guard snake entered the covered pitfall. No! The ground commander in charge of the troops yelled as he viewed the guard snake entering the trap with a pair of binos. The marine holding the demolition board quickly twisted one of the trigger figures, and several dull thud explosions could be heard from fault underground. The daisy-chained explosives hooked up underneath the supports of the roof bridge blew and the whole roof collapsed inwards, dropping a surprise guard snake down into the pitfall. The ground commander, seeing the snake falling into the trap, quickly ordered the next set of traps to be set off. Twisting another key on the demo board, the marine grinned as suddenly the night turned to day, as the napalm-fueled flames for gases erupted like volcanoes. Burn! Baby, burn! An unholy shriek resounded out as the flame pitfall and the god snake could be seen thrashing wildly within the flames. The superheated air and flames finally erupted and the drums of the white phosphorus, and once the chemicals got in contact with the air of highly toxic powder reacted violently and combust. The ground troops all watched from a distance two kilometers away with binoculars at the display of fireworks and smoke. Yet the shrieks and thrashing serpentine shadow within the smoke did not appear to lessen. The ground commander frowned and turned to the mortar battery commander. Give me a special munitions, three rounds, rapids. Yes, sir. The mortar commander nodded and ran off to his mortar carriages and told his men. Load the specials. He quickly ordered the men who jumped into action. Three rounds, air bust. The first ammunition bearer quickly rotated the fuzz cap of the mortar shell clockwise until the three-little engraving PRX was above the index line of the indicated that the fuse was set to proximity airburst setting before handing the mortar bombs to the assistant gunner, who held the bomb at the tip of the tip of the 120mm mortar already sighted into the pit while the second ammunition bearer prepped the next mortar shell. The gunner peered through the sights and double-checked the range chart before nodding to his section leader, who acted as a fire controller who yelled, Mortar one, ready, two ready, three ready, four ready, three round special, fire for effect, fire. The marine gunner dropped the bomb down the mortar muzzle and quickly turned away from the blast while keeping his mouth open and covering his ears. The solid thump of the mortar blast shook the men's insides, but they ignored it and continued to serve the gun, firing a total of three rounds each, as fast as they could drop the bombs down the muzzle. After recklessly speeding away a distance, Tyria ordered the jeeps to stop and Claymore 1 all quickly watched the reckless fireworks going on in the trap. They covered their ears, but the unholy screams of the godsnake slammed into them like a shockwave. What the fuck is that? 
Hitsu yelled as he covered his ears while rolling on the back of the jeep with the pain stabbing right into his brains. Quick, cast mental fortitude! Taria yelled out while putting his words into action. Everyone quickly cast the spell which fortified their willpower to defend against sanity-causing shrieks. Damn, that was close. Hitsu rubbed the back of his head, feeling like someone had just squeezed his brains for fun. He rubbed the blood that dripped out of his nose and quickly stuffed earplugs into his ears to block the screams. Is that bloody thing dying yet? Hitsu asked as he pushed himself up from the floor of the jeep. Damn, my head hurts. Terry massaged his burning eyes and looked at the glowing flame pit in the distance. I hope so. Suddenly, several shrieked shells came streaming overhead as the men instinctively ducked. Mortars! They straightened up when they realized that the mortars were not aiming for them and laughed sheepishly amongst themselves before turning their attention back to the trap, seeing the mortar bombs landing right on target. The shrieking in pain and anger from the hellfire that was burning its strength away, the god snake tried to dislodge itself from the couple of sharpened tree trunks that it had unluckily pierced into its wounds. Thankfully, the hellfire helped as the flames and superheated air reduced the stakes to charcoal, and the thrashing serpent managed to break free. But before it could rejoice, suddenly several large explosions roared loudly, and instantly its vision was blocked by clouds of white acid smoke that burnt its eyes and exposed wounds. Badly blinded, it rolled around in pain and panic, trying to get out of the hellhole. It slammed its body against the walls of the pit, trying to rub the sticky hellfire off its body. And, not long, it felt the temperature of the surroundings dropping finally. Just as it thought it received some respite from the hellfires, it suddenly heard several shrieks followed by several thunderclaps above its head. It raised its blinded head up and its boiled tongue hissed out and tasted the air, and it suddenly shrieked as a burned tongue touched something that was worse than the hellfires that it suffered from. The dozen special munitions mortar bombs detonated in series as they screamed overhead. The bomb's internal mechanical clockwork fuses were set to detonate after 17 seconds, the time needed for the mortar bombs to travel and reach the target site. The clockwork fuses timer winded down to zero and the fire runes snapped together, igniting the burster assemblage charge and spewing out the contents of a charge out. 2.45 kilograms of pure sodium chloride, or commonly known as salt, spewed out from the bursting caps of the mortar's payload. In less than 10 seconds, over 29 kilograms of salt were scattered over the area of half a football field, directly over the god snake. As the sea salt landed down on the inferno, it melted the superheated air and boiled, before the molecules broke their bonds into sodium and chloride. But as more salt rained down on the god snake and the temperature dropped, enough of the remaining salt landed on the god snake and onto its festering burns and wounds. Almost immediately, the wounds touched by the raining salt started to erode into wisps of smoke as the purifying powers of salt broke the bonds of the god snake body from this realm. The pain almost drove the god snake insane as it spasmed even more violently, destroying the walls of the pit and causing the magical reinforced earthen walls to crumble. The ground commander, seeing this effect of the special munitions spare appeared to be effective, quickly ordered the mortars to fire every single mortar shell that they have in stock. The mortarmen jumped into action, and bomb after bomb, mortars kept firing till the tubes glowed red in the night. UNS Singapore Command Bridge The whole command bridge was silent as everyone had their eyes glued to the UAV feed being streamed in the battle with the god snake. 
Blake unconsciously bit his nails as he watched the peed, only to have the princess gently pull his hand away. He smiled at her before turning back to watch the live stream. Damn thing's pretty tough to endure so much napalm. Commander Ford nodded from his spot. If we can't kill it this time, we don't have enough stocks of napalm left to use on it. They watched as multiple bursts of white powder appeared overhead in the god snake, making it squirm violently each time. Looks like Joseph and his people came up with a good idea with the salted loaded mortars. Seems like it works well enough. Well, salt seemed to be used in all cultures and religions to ward against evil, Blake replied. Also, the intel from Claymore 1 was quite valuable to salt works against these, um, things, Blake added. Hell, I don't even know what these things are classified as. Demons? Devils? Evil gods? Ford smiled. Don't start with that in front of Dr. Sharon, or she'll start a lecture and give you homework to make you have an exam afterwards. Ha! <laughs> Blake grinned back. Well, looks like it's working. The sensor measuring the density of the magic power appears to be dropping fast. They continued watching the UAV feed, observing the thick, oily smoke evaporating off the body under the burning land, exposing its startling white bone structure. It slowly, the scales and flesh evaporated away, only leaving behind the skeletal frame over a hundred meters long, and it suddenly crumbled under its own weight before turning into dust. The watching crew and command staff cheered wildly as they watched the godsnake getting defeated. That was easy, Blake smiled. I kind of expected more. Seriously, Ford frowned. You want more? I mean, we did use our main gun to kill God's champion, Blake shrugged. That seemed just too easy. Do you know how much napalm, fuel explosives, mortar shells, 250 kilogram bombs, and countless small arms ammunition firing that thing costed us? Ford raised a disbelieving eyebrow. Not to mention the loss of Mariner, which was one-fifth of our entire bomber fleet. Whoa, chill, Blake grinned. I meant it in a good way. Besides, materials and machines could always be reproduced, while the lives of men are more precious. We are lucky we only lost a crew of one mariner, and likely not a full crew either, Blake added. That's still considered a heavy price and an easy victory. True, Ford nodded. Well, an easy victory is always good, even if the material cost is high. I guess we lucked out this time. We will take all the luck we can get, Blake smiled tiredly before turning the communication link to Orwell's point. Good work. Give my congratulations to the men. Yes, sir, Joseph Image replied. Operation Pied Piper is a success. Have the men take a well-deserved break, Blake ordered. You too. Give me your report tomorrow afternoon. Thank you, sir, Joseph saluted as his image disappeared from the screen. Damn, I'm hungry, Blake stood up. We all had some sandwiches while on duty. Now that you asked, Ford stood up. Yeah. How about you? Blake turned to the Princess Shireen, who nodded. Let's go to the officer's mess, Blake said as he turned to the rest of the command crew. All right, people. Good job. Stand down to alert from orange to yellow. Those off shift now. Get some rest, food, or whatever you want. I'll see you all tomorrow. Dismissed. Aye, aye, sir, the crew chorused and saluted, then departing officers. I remember the menu for tonight is a Margie, right? End of chapter. Chapter 280. Words. Orwell's Point, Northern Bother. Mill snapped the side of his neck and wiped the slimy remains of bug off against his sweat and mud-caked uniform. He used his boots to push up away curious little blue slime in his path and turned back to find their high-value prisoner riding on one of the captured land dragons staring daggers at him. 
If looks could kill, she probably killed him a dozen times over. He sighed and waited till the mount carrying the prisoners came up next to him, and he took the reins from her escort. Wonderful day, isn't it, my lady? Tajana humped at him and turned her head away from him. She felt sore all over her body, especially her wounds. She was dirty and tired, wearing the same dress for days and only a couple wipe-downs of her body with a wet towel. Even both her maids who were following on foot were also not being so well with their forced march through the forest. Yet Titania was impressed with the discipline of these barbarian soldiers. Despite hearing some grumbles here and there, the way they moved through the forest spoke a great deal of their training and experience. These barbarians must have grown up in a forest and must have trained together since young, as the coordination and skills in the woods were top-notch. She had taken part in training her men before and knew what it takes almost forever to get the men to be able to work independently and yet together at the same time. The proper arms man would take years to train, from wielding a spear to a sword and then a shield to fighting in formation. A cavalryman would also need to learn how to ride a land dragon and how to fight on a moving mount. Even the conscripted peasants would take some months to at least learn how to wield the spear and stay in the fight formation to fight properly. But looking at the way these men moved and the orders being transmitted, barely without a word and only by hand signals, her judgment was that this group of crack troops, not to mention that each soldier was armed with those strange thunder artifacts and barely had a hundred men that routed her force of ten thousand. Do you want to ride in the carriage? he asked. You don't look so well. No, she snapped and urged him out faster her hands tied to the horn of the saddle while the anti-magic collar worn around her neck. Mills glanced at a regal-looking bearing despite the fatigue on her face and shook her head, wondering why women must be so headstrong at times. They were supposed to ride in the luxury over river barges, but there were sightings of enemy dragons that probably were reinforcements to the routed army. Their cobra air cover had been withdrawn and reassigned to defend against the godsnake, hence the lieutenant ordered everyone off the ships to make trek and foot back to Orwell's Point. Over the course of three days, though, through the thick forest, they encountered several monsters that beat off and meat from their creatures were welcome addition to the cooking pots. He turned to the prisoner and asked, "'Sir, why'd you fight in wars?' Titania looked down at the strange, short-haired barbarian. Of course, it is the glory of the Rothschild family. Do you do anything that does not involve the name of your family? Mills asked as he carefully led the mount around the tree root. Of course, Titania snapped, wondering what trick question that was. I do many things that do not involve my family. What I meant is, do you have any goals of your own? Mills questioned, like dreams of your own. I do... Titania stopped and she wondered about the question. I do want to beat that upstart mage to take the top place. Yes, now we're getting somewhere without constantly hearing about your family name, Bills grinned. But taking the top place brings glory to the Rothschilds, Tatjana frowned. Ah, UNS Singapore, Captain's Quarters. Blake scrawled through the reports on the aftermath of Operation Pied Piper. Finally finishing the report, he looked up at the Commander Ford, who was reading the same report. Well... At least now we have one less worry here. Yes, but there is something here that doesn't add up. Ford frowned as he scrolled through the report of his tablets. We're missing one confirmed kill for the traitors. Really? Blake looked back in the reports. We got a video feed of the five of them in the room, the ex-marine sergeant turning into a snake, and the one reported to be blown up in the factory, and the other out in the plains from MAW Unit 02. Everyone is accounted for. Blake paused. Wait, who was the one in the factory? 
Spaceman Apprentice Leong, John Cook, born 2109, New Territories, Hong Kong, Maintenance and Operations. Major Frank answered, his body is the only one no one has any been able to visually tally with. And judging from the way those idiots gave their souls, Ford gave a cough the words, they were granted supernatural regeneration capabilities. The bombs might not be enough to kill him unless he took a direct hit. True, Blake frowned. Crap, if that's the case, even if we banish the god snake back to wherever it came from, it still has the link to this place via Leong, if he is still alive. Sir, I propose we send a company down to Sin City to see what we can find, Major Frank suggested. I'm worried what we might have missed something. Blake nodded and gestured towards Captain Joseph on the screen. Okay, see what men you can spare without lowering the defense of Orwell's Point. Go dig around Sin City. See if you can find anything. Yes, sir, Joseph's image replied crisply. How are your stocks on ammunitions? Blake changed the topic, looking at the short quartermaster. We have more than adequate small arms munitions, but any special munitions like napalm were all out. Quartermaster Chen reported, Fighting that thing wiped out all two months of napalm production. We need to reproduce everything. How about the three-inch shells and the 120mm mortars? Blake asked. Does Orwell's Point have enough munitions and supplies? Orwell's Point needs 120mm mortars. We used up almost 80% of our stockpile while still having three-inch shells to last for a while. Even the 250kg bombs are enough for a planes for now. Joseph replied, and the mariners are back on full-time supply runs. For food and fuel supplies, we have stockpiled for two months, Joseph continued. We do need small, small arms ammunitions if we are preparing to be under siege. Got it, Quartermaster Chen replied as he took down the notes on the side. On our side, we have a healthy stock of three-inch guns, mortars, and 70mm rockets, Chen continued. Small arms ammunition production is more than enough for our needs, too. The production lines are being retooled and pushed out the new 88mm and 155mm design guns, Chen added. We expect to see them out in the field within a month. Good. More firepower is always welcome, Major Frank grinned. With the 155mm howitzers, we can literally hit a target we want within 12km radius. Air Force, Blake asked next. What is the latest on the projects on your side, Tommy? We started a recruitment for new batch of pilots amongst the 18- to 20-year-old population, Commander Tommy replied. The requirements for the new batch of pilots won't be strict as they're going to be fixed-rotor aircraft pilots. I'll be personally interviewing the applicants. Navy, Blake turned to the Chief Navy Operations, Commander Ford. We are pushing out a new corvette design, Ford grinned. It's going to be larger variant of the PT boats, but more heavily armored crude, and will be armed with the new 88mm ordnance that is going to be pushed out. And we are shipping a couple of stripped-down PT boats forward to Orwell's Point within the next land convoy over, Ford added. The PT boats will be very useful for defending and patrolling the river there. Blake nodded. Princess, how about your side? Total basic literacy levels have gone up to 40%, Princess Shireen reported. Overall happiness of the population is actually pretty high. Demands for work, and especially in the factories, has also gone up, while people applying to study more advanced courses has gone down, she added. It would appear that not many are willing to spend more time advancing their studies after they've completed their basic education and required subjects before starting to look for work. Sir, this is quite worrying as our current workers barely hold the minimum amount of knowledge to work the machines in factories, 
chief engineer Matt spoke out. All our current labor only has the experience but not advanced technical knowledge to further improve our industries. If this goes on, our tech level will stagnate and, if worse, deteriorate. Matt warned, we need to boost the people's tech knowledge more. Princess, Blake rubbed his chin, get your people to work out a plan on how to attract the population to improve their knowledge more. Give them incentives, grants, scholarships, anything. People are very valuable resources. Shireen nodded and she quickly scribbled something down in a notepad. Now, for the prisoners we've taken from Orwell's Point and Sin City. Blake turned to his intel officer. What do you have for us? We have some information here and there, Lieutenant Tabar replied. Orwell's Point's former governor is pretty tight-lipped so far, but he did give up a few hidden caches of his wealth that is squirreled away. Also, we have some more inklings to the forces around Orwell's Point and the Rothschild family which appear to be in control of these parts. Davis said, The family has its roots as far as the original sailors and soldiers that landed here. They control the southern portion of the new land. The previously, the Duke Sturm that chased the remnants of Gold Rose into the Paz was also under the Rothschild family, Tabor added. Head of the family is a man known as Moel Rothschild, roughly in his late forties. He is said to be very focused and ruthless. Tavar looked up from his tablet. He is also known to be bad-tempered and do not forget a grudge easily. So basically, he's a gangster, Ford commented. He has three biological sons and one daughter. Tavar ignored Ford's comment. He also has four illegitimate sons, all of which is around the age of 20 to 25, while the youngest is of age of 11. And just recently, 2nd Battalion Falcon Company has taken the only daughter of Mole Rothschild as a prisoner of war. Tavar said... No crap, Ford sighed. Did we just anger another warlord? On that matter of that, Tavor continued, Moel Rothschild cares a lot for his family pride, so the taking of his daughter as a prisoner of war would definitely not go well with his temper. We can expect lots of heavy demands and threats from the return of his daughter. Tavor gave his assessment. It'll be a pride thing for this man, and he will not stop even when he gets his demands. Hmm... Blake frowned. So you're saying that even if we return his daughter back safe and sound, and the peace deals we worked with him will be conveniently forgotten? Yes, sir, Tavar simply replied. Recommend course of action is to not deal with all the Rothschilds, hold his daughter in custody, and bleed the Rothschilds dry. Do not trust any word of the Rothschilds. End of chapter. And that, my friends, concludes this video. I hope that you enjoyed. If you did, please consider supporting the author from the link down below. Otherwise, if you wish to support this channel, there are numerous ways to do so, like liking, subscribing, and possibly even becoming a patron. Otherwise, the easiest way would be to share. And until the next video, I hope that you all have a good one, and I'll see you then. Cheers.